Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and welcome to the next episode of Exponential Wisdom. This is a topic that in the very short-term future, Peter, is simply going to affect every single human being on the planet. And the reason is the basis of all life on the planet is energy, and we've had energy transformations over the last couple of centuries, each of them it was like the end of one Monopoly game and the beginning of another, where all the pieces have to go back in the box. And this is, no question, will be the big one because it brings all the 60 factors to the whole issue of energy, and that is the impact of solar energy as we go forward and how fast the progress is being made in solar energy and then some of the predictions that you're actually making and others are making about the sudden, sudden transformation of the energy foundation on the planet to solar power. Yeah, if we look back historically at what's powered society, going back to the caveman days, we would gather firewood and make a fire, and that used to cook food, and that was... And that was huge. That was huge in human history. Uh, yeah. yeah, protein, energy, mm. and then... I would say, what came next, Dan? Was it the water wheel, probably? Well, actually, it was slave labor and animal labor. Massive armies of slaves, for one thing, and then the use of animals. Horsepower. <laughs> Horsepower. The word is still with us, so it must have been important, you know. And then, of course, water and wind, because sailing was mastered. But there was long, long time period before you get to one which is actually a technology-produced one, and that's, you know, where... Steam. Uh, steam. The steam engine, right, that led the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Steam-powered factories and steam locomotives, right, and then... Driven by coal, by the way. Coal was the great breakthrough. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. In England, England had enormous reserves of coal that were fairly readily available, and... They were a compact country that had a big population, and so all those factors came together. And then we can't forget there was tallow and whale oil powering lights, and <laughs> I mean, really, really expensive sources of energy. You'd have to slaughter a whale and get whale oil and so forth. And it was rational optimist Matt Ridley who does a great story on mm -hmm. the reducing cost of per lumen that it used to be like you know, a day's work to get an hour of light, and today it's down to microseconds of work to get from an LED the power of light. Mm -hmm. But then we went from coal-powered steam to oil and gas and nuclear. It's interesting, I talk about this a lot, that energy is not really scarce on the planet. Technology is the force that takes mm -hmm. what used to be scarce and makes it abundant. Mm -hmm. And uh, the examples I use for this is if you went back 30 years ago and said oil was scarce, we had oil-driven politics around the world, the gas lines when price per barrel went up and scarcity plays and all of that BS. And then I remember reading about how the oil industries discovered these vast oil reserves under the ocean floor. And then they learned how to go 5,000 feet below the ocean floor, then drill sideways for another 5,000 feet or 5,000 meters, whatever it was. And that technology for deep ocean drilling just created a huge amount of oil available. Mm -hmm. And then the next technology that took natural gas from being scarce to being abundant was fracking, mm -hmm. putting aside the moral ethical impacts on the environment. 
just the notion that we can see a technology turn one form of energy from scarcity to abundance, from scarcity to abundance over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love nuclear. I think we have the ability to create very safe nuclear, but I think the stigma and political process will never enable it. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. Navy has been using nuclear since the mid-50s without an accident, you know. I mean, the, all the subs, all the aircraft carriers, and many of the other ships are all nuclear. They can literally run forever. People don't know that. It's only food that they need because they make their own water yep. with the nuclear reactors. That's been going for 60 years without accident, so it shows. And the other thing is there were two three-mile island reactors, and one of them has been powering 20 to 30,000 homes ever since the original accident, you know, so, yeah. And the original nuclear designs for power plants were so baroque and ancient, and there's so many better designs, we just sort of muddied that water so much. They were as good as they were capable of making them. At the time, at the yeah. time. Yeah. So, but ultimately, what's interesting is when you do the economics, the ultimate power source that powers everything on this planet, powers you and me, the plants, our cars, no matter what, is the sun, mm -hmm. is solar. Mm -hmm. Even oil and gas is solar energy captured by plants or dinosaurs converted into hydrocarbons deep in the ground that we now burn. And so if you do the numbers today, I don't have the exact numbers of how many gigajoules humanity uses during a year, but there's 8,000 times more energy that hits the surface of the earth from the sun than we consume as a species in a year's time. So there's plenty of energy. Mm -hmm. It's just not in a usable form yet, yes. but there's incredible progress right now mm -hmm. uh, around the world. And what most people don't realize is that we're probably not more than 20 years away from having an all-electric economy. Yeah. And that's going to change everything. For those who are able to get to it. My feeling is, because I have a sense of the politics of situations, before we go too much further, I just tell you one of the big obstacles of a fast turnover is just the sheer amount of tax money that the governments make off of gas and oil. One thing I know about government, it doesn't give up its tax base very easily. Listen, I get the fact that the government is going to try and keep the oil and gas companies in place. I just think they're not going to have any customers. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I mean, I'll use a couple examples, right? So one of the largest consumers of petrochemicals are cars. Mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of millions of cars in the United States, hundreds of millions of cars around the world. And I used to think that these gas-guzzling cars... And the average car can last easily 30 years, right? You have on the road now lots of cars built in the early 90s, and you can maintain them for 10, 20, 30 years. And so I used to think, uh, you know, electric cars are going to come in slow, and all of the gas cars are going to be around in the gas stations and so forth. So we're going to have a need for oil and gas for the next 30 years. But that's you know, changed in a heartbeat for me. Mm -hmm. And what changed it was our conversations at Abundance 360 this past year in, in January 2017, when I brought Jeff Holden on stage with me. Jeff's an A360 member. He is the chief product officer at Uber. He's in charge of AI there. He's in charge of autonomous cars. And he said, you know, Peter, two things. Number one, all of the autonomous cars are gonna be electric autonomous cars. They're not gonna be gas powered autonomous cars. They're going to be like Teslas, 
There's the Bolt, which is coming out of GM as an electric autonomous car in partnership with Lyft. So we're going to see all of these car sharing services, mm -hmm. fully autonomous, fully electric, mm -hmm. because it's much cheaper to operate and recharge. And it's going to be 10 times cheaper, 10 times cheaper to have an autonomous electric car in your life than a gasoline car. So if mm -hmm. it really is that much cheaper. Well, it's a 10 times factor because no technology changes yeah. quickly replaces another technology unless you have a 10 times factor. Yeah. And it's usually it's got to be more than one 10 times factor. I mean, it's faster, it's easier, it's cheaper, and it's bigger, you know, the results. So it's probably a four times 10, you know, you got to have it in a whole bunch of areas, but you've got three areas already lined up in solar. One of them is the efficiency of the panels. The other one is the storage, how storage is increasing. And one of the aspects of storage is the batteries. Yep. So these are each 10 times. So you have a convergence of three 10 times technologies. So I think we're going to see the prediction is that car ownership is going to be dead by 2025, which is fascinating, yeah. which means we no longer own a car. You own car as a service. You will have parked your car, sold your car, junked your car because having a car in your driveway is going to be an inconvenience. Yeah. You're not going to use it because it's, ugh, am I going to get my car and have to find a parking spot? And we're getting rid of parking lots and parking spots because cars are autonomous now and it's cheaper and better. And so... If you don't have gas-powered cars anymore, that just cuts the legs out from underneath the oil and gas companies. Then the price goes up because the demand goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the really smart oil and gas companies are already crossing the bridge. I mean, they're expanding. Into renewables. Yeah. These are large corporations that look 30, 40 years down the road. They're not in the business of going obsolete. So if they notice a shift in the wind they're going to adjust their sales properly. I just think that this shift of autonomous cars is happening much faster yeah. than anybody predicted, right? I was just reading this morning that Mercedes-Benz is partnering now to create an autonomous taxi service. Everybody's trying to find their niche. And by the way, it's going to destroy the automotive industry. Probably two-thirds of the car companies are not going to survive this. As is presently constituted, yeah. First of all, this is news to you, but about Three weeks ago, we bought a Tesla X. Oh, fantastic. Welcome to the family. We're probably very, very abnormal drivers because we have a 12-year-old BMW X5, which we liked. I mean, we loved it, but we've had it for 12 years, and we've got 55,000 miles on it. Yeah, you don't okay. drive very much. No, we don't, and there's a second part of not driving a lot. I don't drive at all, so... People said, boy, are you going to love the Tesla? And I said, yeah, but I have to tell you, I'm a passenger. Well, eventually, we're all going to be passengers. So if you just got one of the new yeah. Model Xs, it's got on board 12 ultrasonic sensors, 8 cameras, an NVIDIA supercomputer, yeah. and Tesla can flip on full autonomy to level 5 autonomy. And hey, it's great. Yeah, and the only trip of any like that we have is to the cottage. That's right. You're Canadian now. Everybody's got a cottage. <laughs> having a cottage is close as Canadians get to having religion. You know, I mean, this is, a, I mean, the tears come out in their eyes and it rolls down. I mean, this is a unique culture around cottages up here. But here's the thing, Peter. We just 
First of all, our car is always filled up because we just have a recharger in the garage, so at night you do that. Usually it's accounting for the fact that we drove 12 miles the day before. We're putting a 220 up at the cottage, too. But it's very interesting, a restaurant very near us in cottage country is putting in chargers right in the parking lot. Again, it's one of the things that I pick up on because it's not a real popular destination in cottage country, but they're picking up on something. Or they're really smart. They're like uh, H&R Block teaming up with Watson. (laughs) They're going to have people with Teslas driving 50, 60 miles to come to this restaurant, you know. And marketing always plays a real part in everything. You've got to create an image in people's minds that they're on the cutting edge here, that this is the way things are going. But I agree with you. You know, I've been slow to get on board with what you were talking about, but you know, I've just been looking at it, and I totally believe in the application of Moore's Law to more and more things, especially backed up with artificial intelligence and deep data and everything like that. I have a feeling that this is the winning game, and it'd be interesting, but I think it's really hard to predict who the winning players are in the new winning game. So a couple of interesting data points, and I'm just looking for one of those data points right now. We're starting to see a lot of countries like Costa Rica and Denmark announce that they've been at 100% renewables, either solar or wind. And that's pretty amazing where nationally people are saying we're going to make a government commitment not to keep taxing ourselves on oil and gas, but we're going 100% renewable. The uh, other thing, there's this article that I wrote this blog on that one of the California energy providers, the California Independent Systems Operator, reached a all-time high of 57% from renewables, and they're on target to blow away their goal of getting to 100% renewables in the next 15 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we just had a brand new record set this week on solar energy conversion, the efficiency of converting solar to electricity at the photovoltaic panel was like at 27%, but at a mass producible solar panel. And then the thing that I'm excited about is, you know, I fly my own plane and I'm a member of the Hyperloop One board and we're building the test facilities out in Las Vegas. And so when I fly from Santa Monica to Las Vegas, I look down and along the desert as I'm going, I see all of these large photovoltaic farms that are converting sunlight into energy, electricity on the photovoltaic effect. And then these solar thermal farms with these large arrays of mirrors pointing the solar energy at a typically a molten salt and driving a turbine. And it's incredible. And then I fly back into LA and it's all there's no room for these photovoltaic farms or these solar thermal farms. It's all roads, parking lots, and rooftops. And then you've got the government of France and a test going on in Normandy right now where they're actually turning kilometers of roads into photovoltaic farms. Yes. And then Tesla announces they're going to be rolling out their new roof tiles. Yes. Solar roof tiles. Yeah. Roof tiles and window glass seem to me to be 
such a natural that can be converted over very, very quickly. I mean, if they're good looking. They, I don't like about solar is I find the panels on top of the house is aesthetically not very pleasing the way they've been up until now. And I would never do it because it's like me riding a Segway. I look like a <laughs> dork, you know. Good idea, but man, not cool. But we just built a brand new house and we have sort of a growing compound here in Toronto but we put in new tiles that last 50 years. And I said, too bad we didn't have the tiles right now. We would have put in solar tiles if they were good looking. I mean, they have to meet what I like having on my house. But the other thing is just think of all the window glass in houses, office buildings, everything. They could all be generating electricity. 8,000 times more energy hits the surface than we consume. Yeah. So you don't have to convert a lot of it. No. I mean, the thing that makes it interesting, right? The government can tax all the oil and gas they want and try and make money. But if I can turn myself into an independent energy provider, yeah. and I can also charge my own car with what comes off my rooftop, then all of a sudden, government be damned, that whole energy economy just topples. Yeah. And I really think I am so ready. So the Trump administration recently sort of rolled back all of Obama's environmental issues. And I tweeted out and said, listen, you know, if the government's not going to protect us, entrepreneurs need to. Yeah. And one way to say, okay, it doesn't matter what the rules are. If solar is 10 times cheaper than anything else, then everyone's going to use solar. Yeah. Well, the other thing, I mean, in uh, fairness to my winning horse in the election, <laughs> he did extend the five-year credit for solar R&D. He was predicted that he wouldn't, but he did. And I always find the political loyalties of Silicon Valley very interesting to watch from afar. But the first person who got on board with Donald Trump was Elon Musk. He was up the Trump Tower and having a great talk. And I think, first of all, Trump really respects him because he's an entrepreneur and he's a risk taker. You know, he immediately got him in on his council for being a scientific advisor. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Until Elon said, President Trump, your plans to go to Mars are bullshit. So <laughs> it's going to be an interesting yeah. situation. Yeah. But politics is one world and the world Elon's living in is another world. That's for sure. Elon Musk is as unpredictable as Donald Trump's election was. <laughs> So let's talk about something that you know a lot about that I'm curious about. A lot of countries' economic viability mm -hmm. is a result of their energy economy, oh, yeah. like Russia, yeah. parts of China, even parts of the United States, Canada. Vast parts of the Middle East. I mean, of, of course. I mean, I should have mentioned that first. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Saudi and Qatar. Mm -hmm. and So what happens all of a sudden when solar becomes a dominant play and the demand for oil and gas goes the same way as the demand for whale oil. Yeah, which disappeared very quickly. Yeah, and we see this over again. You know, Kodak print film went boom off the cliff mm -hmm. as digital took off. And so mm -hmm. we see the same thing here. And what happens? It's a destabilizing effect if all of a sudden... Yeah, very much so. It's very destabilizing. I mean, yeah. it's very worrisome because you talk about the dependency on energy economy, but to a certain extent, all major countries, all economic countries, 
in their taxation platform. I mean, the biggest addict in any society is the government running the society. They're addicted to tobacco, they're addicted to alcohol, they're addicted to oil and gas, and it's because of the taxes. There's never a surplus of tax money sitting in any government treasury. They continually spending beyond their means. But I just looked it up because I knew we were going to talk about this. But the taxes that the feds and the states, and that doesn't even include the municipalities in the United States because municipalities have taxes on gas. It's a half a trillion, at least, of what is known a year. You get to talking about half a trillion, you're talking about real money. I really got a feel for this with the UK because we'll be off to London for two and a half weeks, and we do this every May. And there's an institution in London that I really love, and it's the Black Cabs, because they're the finest and most knowledgeable cab drivers in the world. And I was just asking the driver, I said, how much are you paying for gas right now? Because they all have to gas up. He gave me the figures, but it was in pounds and it was in liters. liters, so I had to go back and I worked it out at the hotel. But that day, the national price for the U.S. for a gallon of gasoline was around two forty-nine. Yeah. In American dollars, he was paying $11.30. Ouch. $11.30 for a gallon. Well, the price of the gasoline itself would not vary that much because there are production costs, but it was all taxation probably between 50 cents a gallon and 11.30, you're just talking about taxation. That's an addiction. That's a government addiction, that taxation. Wow. So that would be very, very disruptive if that were to suddenly disappear. Amazing. So they're going to have to go with a lot of other exponential technologies to lower costs in lots of other areas. Of course, one of the big ones is medicine. That's a huge cost. You know, a curse in Chinese is, may you live in interesting times. And so (laughs) as disruptive as it may have seen over the last decade or two decades, I think the disruptions ahead are, they're much more on major geopolitical level. And there's potentially a shift, and I, I think about this, you know, that the world's poorest countries are the world's sunniest countries. Yes. Africa, Central and South America. So the ability to all of a sudden have an abundance of energy, a squanderable abundance of energy to drive your economy. And of course, if you have huge amounts of energy, you have huge amounts of clean water, and then you've got agriculture and you've got healthcare and so forth. So there might be an interesting sort of transformation of the global who's in lead players. Yeah, and I think that the other thing that you uh, pointed to just a few minutes ago, Peter, is that generally, Energy has been very centralized and controlled by either major corporations or by major governments. But what solar does is as the efficiencies get greater, the price drops, you can have local, independent, autonomous solar generation, certainly for villages. And that takes the political leverage. Enormous manipulation happens politically worldwide over food, over energy, over water. And if you can make those things democratized, it takes away the manipulation. It really is. In one sense, this is giving yourself abundant clean energy makes the adjacencies all possible. And this is an area that I know you have a great deal of interest in. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the big thing, it's the self-empowerment of individuals as many as possible without outside coercion, which is the basis for a flourishing society. Abundance is one thing, but you have to translate the abundance in such a way that large numbers of people can flourish as a result of the abundance. Yep. And again, I think the adjacent possibles that come out of an abundant energy economy and transform the world are going to be valuable. Yeah. And maybe a subject for our next conversation. Yeah. And I would say this, Peter, uh, kudos to you, because I think for a long time you were with your understanding of the exponential impact of technology. You called your areas very early. I, you know, I became aware of you through the X Prize because you never knew this, but in the early 50s, I was passionate about the jet planes like the Bell X-1, the Bell X-2, the Douglas Skyrocket, and the pilots who were all combat pilots out of the Second World War. And they were breaking these speed records, and I had all the models, and I had all the pictures and everything. So I was very, very interested. And, you know, they were heading towards when they could go into space. So I got really, really hooked on that when I was about eight years old. So anyway, the thing I wanted to finish the thought there is that you were making these predictions based on just putting various factors together. One of them is the exponential law, which is partially represented by Moore's law, but that applied to so many different things. And you were making these predictions quite a long time ago when there wasn't evidence in the newspaper and you weren't getting daily news dispatches yeah. about the breakthroughs and you were you were out there early. Well, I appreciate that. And I, in turn, am a student of Ray Kurzweil, who was out there even before me. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we wrap this up? I think people who are trading on energy, looking at energy in the energy industry, there's a lot of change coming. It's going to impact how we live our lives, what is possible, the rise and falls of nations, and I think ultimately a rising of the tide of abundance, because abundant clean energy means abundant water, food, healthcare, all of these things. Yeah. What do you want to talk about next, Paul? In our next session. Well, there's a thing that I came across. I had been doing this practically for the entire history of Strategic Coach, and it was just a concept I'm reading in a book by a wonderful writer by the name of Steve Johnson. I've finished one book, which is called How We Got to Now, and the second one is called Where Good Ideas Come From. But in both books, he mentions a concept which is called the adjacent possible. And I suddenly realized that this has been the operating method of my entire life in Strategic Coach and how we create the concepts and how we get people to focus in on what's possible during each 90-day period of their life. And I'd like to just talk about this because virtually the entire technological world has been created out of people taking advantage of the adjacent possible. Let's do that. It's a fun subject, one I'm, I'm excited about too. All right. See you shortly. Take care.